Hi, as David said, I'm Stephen. I am so blessed to be the pastor, and I want to open the word with you today. If you'll please turn in your Bibles with me, if you have it on your phone, that's great. There's also actual Bibles in the back. Uh, but if you turn in your Bibles with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. How's everybody doing? All right with the time change? I'm always so confused with time changes because the problem is you wake up and you don't know if it's the real time. You do that, you, you don't trust, I don't trust anything. So especially in the day of technology where things self-change, but then I don't know if I can trust it. It's very challenging. <laughs> time changes. Gotta love the time changes. I hear they're going away, is that right? Then they passed legislation in Missouri that next year will be the last year of, in the future, yeah. They haven't decided yet? Interesting. Good times. Well, today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, and um, we're going to talk about how God grows people and how God grows the church. And as we look at this passage, we're going to be talking about a couple key lessons, and I want to show a few, uh, share with you a few um, stories and lessons that I've learned in my life growing up and different things that I've encountered uh, that help us to illustrate what are we supposed to do. So we're talking uh, kind of practically right now just because we're in a good time for practical things. Um, it seems to me that we are assaulted right now by all kinds of things from the media and from advertising and everything. I had a friend who just got back, actually Joan Hong, they're the Hongs. Hello, Hongs. Good to see you. Or excuse me, I'm sorry. Lees, I'm sorry, forgive me. Good to see you. Joan's parents are here. Forgive me that I called you Hongs. I know you're not Hongs, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's wonderful to see you today. But Joan is a dentist, and she went to a dental conference just recently, and they are in, they're away for a wedding right now. But uh, if I can borrow her experience without her here, uh, they told her at the dental conference that in order to advertise to her customers effectively, she needs to have 11 points of contact per day with her customers. 11 points of contact. That's up from 2019 when the standard was eight points of contact. So... For instance, let's say if you want to, listen, if you need a dentist, Joan Hong is excellent. See, there's one point of contact. Second point of contact can be, uh, which we don't have, but like, let's say there's flyers in the back, or you leave here and there's a billboard, or suddenly you get something on social media, or uh, you get an email, all these points of contact, 11 a day. That's a lot. And every industry in America is trying to do that 11 times per day with you. So in a time when we are assaulted, if you will, and I'm using that word loosely, but where our senses are struck with all this advertising all the time, I want to just be a little practical and take a couple stories and look at what God's doing. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, he's talking to the church in Ephesus, and he's reminding them of their identity in Christ and of pure doctrine and love for Jesus and what God has done. And he's telling them that, that God is building the church through Jesus Christ, and he's building the people up, and he's gifting them and bringing them together, and that they're taking off their old way of living that they used to live in, and now as new creations in Christ who are called by, by Jesus and who are made clean by his blood, as new creations, they put on God's righteousness, and they live in a way that's distinct from the world. And so the book of Ephesians is a few short chapters as Paul is explaining what that looks like, both in terms of the great things that God has done, and then practically also how to live that out. And in Ephesians chapter 5, he says this little line. Let's read at verse 1. He says, therefore, and he's talking about being in a new life with God. 
as people who are called by God and have changed from darkness into light. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Praise the Lord for his word. You know, Jesus told us in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 that we were supposed to go forth and to make disciples and that we should baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them everything that he has commanded us. The Christian mandate is not just to go to church, which is wonderful. It's not just to serve the community, which is wonderful. The Christian mandate is to be, be a disciple and to make disciples. And really, this verse that Paul is talking about sums up that call for us in being imitators of God. Disciples, the best way to think about it is like a father and son apprenticeship in which a, a son is learning the family business. And I'm using that specifically. It could be daughters too, but culturally, especially in this time, they would have understood that sons tend to take over businesses. But as a child takes over the family business and comes into it, they are, the, the father models for that child. The mother models for the daughter. This is how you live and this is what you're supposed to do. And they grow into maturity knowing who they are, what they're supposed to do, and how to do it. And so we've, uh, in our culture, we've lost some of that because now we're not only being assaulted by all this advertising all over the place, but you can take a great course about anything, anywhere, all the time. And those courses are wonderful, and I, I recommend you take courses. That's fantastic. But back in, in the time that Paul is writing, there was an understanding that to be good at something, to be proficient at something, you couldn't just take a class. You had to live and experience with someone who knew what they were doing how to become this. Now, when Paul tells us be, be imitators of God, you're not going to become God. You're never going to be God. He's not telling you that you're going to be your own God and that you're going to try to transcend things. He's not saying that at all. He's saying based on the foundation of the gospel that you who are a sinner who are separated from God, though you were made in his image and made to worship him, you were dead in your trespasses, Ephesians tells us. Having in selfishness walked our own way, Isaiah says it this way, we like sheep have all gone astray, each to our own way. We've departed from God and none of us have measured up to his standard. And so God's solution to bring us back into what right worship looks like and back into relationship with himself was to send his own son who would die for us on the cross, who would take the punishment of our sin upon himself. He would die, he would be buried, but he would raise again. And in his raising, he would defeat sin, he would defeat death. He is God. And so you're never going to become Jesus and become your own God. But as imitators of God, the Lord has pulled us into the family business, which looks like restoration and grace and peace and life. That's what he's about. And in doing so, he's training us from the master himself that we would be like him, have attitudes like him, that we would talk like him. As Jesus said, we'd make disciples, baptizing them and then teaching them everything that he taught us. And he does not leave us without a witness. He's given us his Holy Spirit inside us that we might serve him, follow him, obey him, honor him, all these things. But being an imitator of God is of crucial importance because in a time when you can take a course about anything and fill your heads with knowledge, it's hard to imitate something and only fill your head with knowledge. You have to actually do it too. This is the core of what discipleship is that God's called us to. It's not just knowing about God. It's following him, knowing him, serving him, being in relationship with him, trusting him, and walking out what he's doing in the earth. 
It's also our mandate for what we're supposed to do for other people. If we're going to be imitators of God, there's a couple things that we need to, to be aware of to do that well. So in this idea of imitating God, I want to take us through three things that in my once upon a time uh, when I was in the military, I learned how to train people. And this is the Army's training model, which is like a lot of corporate ones around the world and stuff. But Paul is actually already writing this, and great organizations just figured out what God was doing. And they're doing the same thing. So Paul is actually doing the same model in Ephesians and spearheading what other people now currently in modern times have said, oh, that's really smart. Let's do that. So the Army's training model, which is what Paul talks about, is be, no, do. Be, no, do. Now, this is an important uh, thing because the book of Ephesians, like I said, the military, all these other organizations, are actually borrowing this from a biblical concept, really. And so this idea of be, you have to be something, then you have to know what to do, and then you have to actually do it. Uh, when we were training soldiers, we would um, find that there were ways to help them walk in that. And so think for a second about all the images that you've seen of basic training or if you went there yourself and what that looks like. What happens immediately when a, a recruit walks off the bus from basic training? They are immersed into a new world. And in that new world, suddenly everything changes. The way you walk changes, the way you talk changes, the way you address people, the way you obey. And the first thing that happens is they chop off all your hair. So you cannot identify with what you used to be. And so the military figured out that if we're going to train soldiers, the first thing that we need to do is, is help them in their identity to be soldiers. And quite honestly, we've lived in tumultuous times. And so when I was, when I was serving, uh, particularly after in the early 2000s when Iraq and Afghanistan were going strong, uh, there were a lot of people that were needed for that, that mission. And so the military started lowering all the standards for people to come in because they needed more people. So we've all heard stories of somebody who's standing before a judge, and that judge says, you can either go to jail, or you can what? Join the military. What do you choose? Now, here's the problem. Those of us in the military got those people. And they came in, and they, but they were already on wayward paths in our judicial system. And so the military figured out, we got to try to train people who might not already have a core understanding of what it means even to be moral. Then we're going to hand that person a rifle. So we need them to be something before they even know how to, you know, what to do and know the things or do it themselves. They need to be something different. So uniforms, haircuts, the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you everything, discipline, it changes. And it's built in, to, to designed to shape a person into what they're supposed to be. God has done that for us. He did that for you in a way that you didn't even know. Ephesians chapter 2 says we were dead in our trespasses. You stepped off the bus dead. An enemy of God. But God, because he was rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. And the first thing that happens to you is you go, I found Jesus. And then as you say that, suddenly you realize my hair is different. And I'm not talking about your physical hair. I'm saying spiritually, God is shaping you. He's changing you. He's even put a new uniform on you because the Bible tells us that he has clothed us in Christ's righteousness. He changes us to be something different. If we're going to be imitators of God, what are we supposed to be? 
Well, first of all, we need to be in Christ. Be in Christ. If you don't embrace his gospel, know him, serve him, trust him, then you're not actually following him. We need to be in Christ. Notice what Paul tells us, though. He says, as imitators of God, as beloved children, we are to walk in love. You know, that's funny that he says that, doesn't it? As beloved children. He could have chosen anything he wanted to say there. He could have said, be imitators of God as good judges. Be imitators of God as those who speak the truth well. Be imitators of God as those who sacrifice like no one else. He could have said any of those things. He said, as beloved children. Sometimes I think that when we are imitating God and walking out discipleship, we come under pressure to try to, to be uh, like his attributes and, and forget to just follow his example. When I, was, uh, when I was in the military, I used to have a soldier. His name was Maldonado. And Maldonado was a, was a good guy, and I really liked him. He was one of the soldiers who first established Gitmo, the, base, you know, the prison system, Gitmo. Uh, his unit was sent, and they first built that prison. And Maldonado um, hated it. He hated all that being there and all those kind of things. And God bless him. He had all, some weird health stuff because um, he, got, he got attacked by some of the prisoners one time. And it made some weird health things happen to him. And so all we're walking this through as I get to know him. And so uh, while he's with me, he gets promoted, and he gets promoted to sergeant. And as a sergeant in the unit that we were in as military police officers, which was my job, Maldonado got a truck. He got a Humvee. He got a driver a soldier that would work for him, a private. He got a gunner, another private or specialist, and he got a big, heavy automatic grenade launcher. That was his allotment. And so he was in charge of those two people, his truck and his weapon. That was his whole deal. And so I went with Maldonado to his very first ever live fire training exercise, which sounds as cool as it sounds. It is very cool. If you ever get the chance, by the way, and if, you're, if you, this military stuff makes you feel weird, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody. Uh, but if you ever get the chance in a training situation just to see what happens, to shoot an automatic grenade launcher, do it. It is the coolest, just the, it's a, it, quite an experience. Anyway, so Maldonado, he's got this truck. Now, automatic grenade launcher shoots grenades. And it shoots them two kilometers. It shoots really far. And it's designed to shoot grenades. It shoots grenades because it's an automatic grenade launcher. And so Maldonado gets this truck with his weapon. And on the live fire, he gets grenades for his thing. And so I told him, I said, Maldonado, here's what I want you to do. Take your team. See that hill right there? You're our right security. Go up the hill, and you're going to defend our right side. Can you do it? Yes, I can do it. Awesome. And he jumped in his truck, and he went, let's stop right here. And, I, and I was, I'm still right here. Like He went one truck length away from me. And I, 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 okay, and I walked over to him and I knocked on his door and he's sitting in there and he's like, ready to go. And I was like, hey, do, hey, Sergeant, what are you doing? He said, I'm defending the right side. I said, yeah, but go up the hill, defend the right side at the top of the, so you can see, I want you to see what's coming on the right side. And then you can see it. And he goes, okay. And so I said, okay, go forward. And so he went, and stopped again. And now he's like from me to the door away. And other people are coming like, hey, what do we do? And there's, it's really, there's a lot of activity. And so I had to stop all of them. And now I'm, too, I'm this far away, so I call him on the radio. And I say, hey, what are you doing? He goes, I'm watching the right side. I said, that's awesome. 
I'm not trying to spoil everything, but I've planned this out for you. If you go to the top of the hill, you're going to find an old Russian tank, and you can shoot it with your grenades. How cool is that? And he's like, really? I said, yes. So I want you to drive to the top of the hill so you can see what's coming from the right side and defend us. Because if you're right here, you're not defending us because you're just too close. You're, I can, hello? And he looks at me and he's like, oh, oh. I said, you can drive, you can take the truck. And here's what he said to me. He goes, I'm allowed to take the truck away from you? I, I said, it's your, this is your entrustment. This is your truck. You can take it. And so he goes up to the top of the hill, and then you hear the signature sounds of all the cool things that are happening. And he calls me back. He's like, this is awesome. And I was like, I, to I told you. It was going to be great. You know, I tell you that story for this reason. B. See, Maldonado's problem wasn't that he didn't know what to do. He knew what to do. He was a sergeant. He'd grown up in the military. He knew what to do. He could function. He could drive that truck. He could fix that truck. He could shoot that weapon. He could tear that weapon apart. He could rebuild it. He knew how to, how to lead the guys. He knew everything he had to do to get out there. He got to the live fire exercise in his truck. But then when the order came to do something, he hadn't embraced that he was actually able to do it because he didn't realize that the authority that was given him meant that he needed to now take it and do something. And so Maldonado's problem wasn't that he didn't know. It wasn't that he didn't do. He went right there. His problem was he didn't know how to be. And for us, here's what Paul tells us. Be imitators of God, therefore, as beloved children. A child who imitates their parents is very different than an adult, than an adult who imitates their parents. How is a child different? Children will follow whatever the parents do. They'll try to model them. Have you ever seen a child dress like their parent? And it's like the coolest thing. Have you ever seen a kid? My little girl walked out the other day. I have a pair of cowboy boots that I wore for Halloween because I was a cowboy. It was great. And um, they are almost as tall as she is. And so she somehow worked herself into these boots. Had to be very uncomfortable. And she was walking out in my boots because she wanted, she wanted to dress like daddy. And it was the cutest, greatest thing ever. But there's an, there's an urge in us that we would do that. Because as part of discipleship, the pureness of that relationship, you learn how to be before you know what to do or you even do it. And as children, beloved children of God, the first thing that we need to do is not to jump into great theology degrees. It's just to know and love him. It's to be his. If we know Jesus, if we walk with him, it changes everything. It also changes how we love our children and how we love our disciples and how we love people that we're talking to. Because the first thing that we do to them is not try to teach them, these are all the things you need to know. The first thing that we do is bring them to Jesus like beloved children and say, I want you to know the Father also. You know, uh, the other night, my little girl, she was laying in bed doing something she wasn't supposed to do, and she um, got hurt. And so she shares a room with her sisters, and they have a bunk bed. And so I got a call, not from the hurt girl, from the other sisters, that she was hurt. Because children, when something happens to another child, they bring you to the parent. That's what we're called to do. Did you know as parents, that's what we're called to do with our children? The greatest thing that we can do with our children is not just teach them how to live or be wise in the world, and those things are very important. It's to bring them to the Savior. Bring them to Jesus. 
because you were created to worship, they were also created to worship. You need salvation from him, they need salvation from him. You find your worth, your grace, your everything in Jesus, they find their worth, their grace, their everything in Jesus. And so the best thing we can do is help people be who God's made them to be and bring them to the Savior that they would know him and that their relationship with him is not rooted on your relationship with him, but instead they know him directly. That's what it means. As imitators of God, as beloved children, we bring people to God. We don't just pretend like we have all the answers. You know, I, don't, I often don't have all the answers. And I will confess to you, I get a lot of things wrong. Are we the kind of people who have to be perfect when other people see us? Or is our gospel big enough that, that other people can see us come to the Savior and repent also and say, Lord, I need you? Because that modeling is hugely important, that we're not trying to just bring the truth to other people that we don't even participate in. But instead, we come to him ourselves as beloved children. So we need to be. Be his. The second thing is we need to know. We need to know. The army had a uh, training mantra that they would use about knowing. And the knowing was, train as you fight. That was always the mantra. We'd use it all the time. Train as you fight. What training as you fight meant is you don't just teach people how to run. Because running is, an, you know, that's a skill that most people have. But that's a skill that you definitely have in the military. I have lost that skill. <laughs> so you don't just learn how to run. You run the way you fight. And so what that means is I had 85 pounds of gear that I wore. And I would run in 85 pounds. That's how you train as you fight. Because the minute you need to run, and you haven't trained at all to run in the gear that you have, you find you have no stamina. So you've got to train as you fight. Uh, the way you train as you fight is you don't just pretend with medical stuff. You don't just pretend. The, the, the medics will actually give you an IV. They will actually do it. So there are some things they can't do. Like they're not going to break your leg to train. You know, <laughs> I want to train how to help with somebody with a broken leg. So get ready. They don't do that. But the point is, to, to whatever degree you can, you make it as realistic as possible. And one of the things I found on that same train ex exercise that I was with on that Sergeant Maldonado guy that was with me, where he went really short, um, <clears throat> we went to another, that, that was a live fire exercise with trucks. It was a big deal. And uh, we were out in the field for a long time. And the culmination of this was a, a little village, if you will, that the Army had constructed. So it was a fake village. And we had to attack that village. And there were targets that would pop up in the windows and all this kind of stuff. So it was very safe. It was all training. Um, nobody's hurt or anything like that. But what I found was I had underestimated my ability to lead a unit without them hearing me. I had underestimated that. Because in training, if you don't train as you fight, if I tell you something, you can hear it easily. But if there are, I had, I had 12 of those trucks, 12 of those trucks, all of them having different weapons and stuff. And grenades, I found, are very loud. They're very loud. And what would happen is we got to the end, this culminated thing, and all those, you know, Maldonado went way up the hill away from us. But now when we get to the little village, everybody's really close together. And they designed it to be that way. And my truck had a machine gun on it. And my um, driver's name was Campbell. He was a great kid. He ended up being one of the President's 100, which if you know what that is, like, a, like one of the guards of the Unknown Soldier and all that stuff. He's a... He's a real deal. He was a great, great soldier. 
And uh, Campbell was my radio guy, driver, all this kind of stuff. And we pulled up to the village and started doing things. And I'm screaming at him to try to tell him to hand me the radio. And he, cannot, he can't understand what I'm saying. Because the truck, when we, every time it shoots, rocks back about a foot. And so the sound, the vibration, the, it was so loud, nobody could hear anything. And I found right away, I had to change the way I trained because I expected the radio would just work fine. The radio was gonna do it all. But nobody could hear when you called on the radio because it was so loud in the midst of that. And so I found that we needed to learn uh, almost like a little sign language that we could use about stuff and how to talk to each other. And if we didn't know that, then you were putting yourself in danger. Because if we didn't do things together, it was very dangerous. Now, Paul tells us, he says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How do we know what to do in God's economy? In the kingdom of God, how do we know what to do? The word tells us. The word tells us. And as we come to the word, as we read the Bible, as we seek God, he tells us how we're supposed to live. Not only that, but he's given us a people and a church together. And I found in my own life that I expect that this thing is going to make it through those loud moments. And that when I'm in trouble, I can pull up scripture and I can find it on here. Or if I'm in trouble, I'm going to get a call from a friend and it's going to come through and it's going to be crystal clear and it's going to be great. But what I found is when spiritual warfare is at its highest and things are the loudest, and even if things seem to be going okay, suddenly this doesn't cut it enough. Because God has not called us to be built by just threads of communication. God has called us to be in him connected to him, close to him. Also, God has called us to be together and to know what to do because we're in his word and together we are ministering and doing the works of ministry that build each other up. And so as we are building each other up into Christ and connected with each other, we are seeing great things happen. But sometimes it gets loud. And when does it get loud? It gets loud when stuff happens. Let's be realistic. So here's an example. Uh, grandpa is in the hospital. Things are bad. I don't know if it's going to make it. You get cards. Somebody sends you flowers. People are praying for you. Everything is great. Grandpa dies. The church helps in the grieving. We stand together, cards, flowers, prayers. And then three months pass, and you feel totally alone. Because we can talk a big game about knowing. We can talk a big game about being until it's too loud and we expect that the threads of our communication are enough. Are they enough? Are they enough with our own kids when we get so busy? You know, there are busy seasons in life. You're hardly home. The quality has to be better than the quantity sometimes. How we communicate and what we do and how we build each other up. We need to come to Christ and make sure that other people know it. I'm not saying this for our... our Everybody kind of went quiet there for a second. I'm guilty of this too, but I'm saying to us, it's easy, it's not easy, but in Christ it's easy because his gospel is perfect and light. It's easy in faith to know him. Then when he says walk it out, sometimes we let the, the loudness of things around us overtake us. 
How do we change that in a practical way? We change that by being imitators of God, by letting love be our bind with one another. Did you know that Jesus said that our love for one another would be the testimony that the Father sent him? Our love for one another is the testimony that Jesus came from the Father to save us. That's astounding. It's astounding. On the Friday Bible study, we were talking about miracles. And miracles are, are wonderful, and I love miracles. I want miracles. I, I want to see people healed, and I want to see all kind of great things happen, people raised from the dead. Also, isn't it funny that people were witnesses to the first church, and to some people saw Jesus and still couldn't believe it. Some people saw great miracles. They saw snot rags that saved people or that healed people. They saw amazing things. Paul himself was preaching, and a kid fell out of a window and died and got raised to life. And still, people left the church because they weren't sure. The miracles are great, but they're signs. They're not the faith. The faith is Christ and knowing him and being in him. And then walking that out and knowing and being in the know of what he's doing and how he's doing it means also that we're connected one with another. And we're in a world right now that is trying as hard as possible to press people away from each other. We are more connected now than ever in history. You can get somebody's attention by 15 apps, and you can also go all week without talking to anybody. Isn't that weird? That's a weird thing. And so in a time when people are more and more and more apart from each other, what is God calling us to do? Love one another, and that by our love, we testify to Jesus. Now, how do we do that practically? Make time for your kids. Make time for your wife. Make time for your husband. Rest on a Sunday where you can have the family together. I asked a group of dads the other day, how many of you still eat dinner at a dinner table? Actually have dinner at a dinner table? I think one. Because sports and activities, and we're going, and we're doing this, and we got to do this, and quite honestly, it's way easier to turn on the television, isn't it? Just watch TV, and it's, listen, eating a meal, especially spaghetti, because that's delicious, <laughs> you eat spaghetti and watch a show, you're going to have a great night. Watch a movie, that's a great Friday, hey, that's fun. Movie night with the kids, we do that on Fridays, a lot of times we'll do, we'll make a pizza or get a pizza or whatever, watch a movie together, and it's wonderful, but the quality of that time is not as good as we hope it is in terms of actually demonstrating love one to another. And it's harder, isn't it, to work all day and do stuff and stresses of life and throw something in the crock pot so you can have a meal as a family together and talk about your day? It's difficult. Let's be honest. It's way easier to turn on the television. But in little practical ways like that, we can start demonstrating that we know Christ. We know what he's done. We know what he's doing. And it's more important for us to have this fellowship together so we can walk in imitating God. Because God has called us every week to his table, every week to pause and come with him and have a meal with him because there's that meal coming in the fullness of when we get to see Jesus again. We know. So we need to be, we need to know, and we need to do. We need to do. Now what does, what does Paul tell us to do? Walk in love, which we just talked about, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're to love self-sacrificially. We are to love people and to love each other the way that Christ loves us. 
He goes on to talk about being free from sexual immorality and uh, things that are, that are evil and not even having these things named amongst you. He talks about purity, all these kind of things. But as imitators of God, we're called to walk in holiness with God, and we're called to do what he says and obey him. That's what we're called to do. And that is expressed in love, in love for Christ, in love for one another, and in love for his mission. Um, I was once in a training thing. See, all my stories are army stories today. Surprise, surprise. When does that ever happen? And uh, I was in this training thing, and um, in this particular time, we had to defend this area. And so in defending this area, we set up uh, this building that was going to be like our Alamo. So the Alamo being like, this is where we all come to. And so there was one guy, my friend and I, in this building, and we were there together, and we barricaded the building, the Alamo, so it was impossible to get us out. Impossible. Nobody could stop us. And so we were defending the building, and we're doing a great job, and I thought things were going really great. And then all of a sudden, I, I just, I remember, like, my heart beating really fast, and I, I was kind of choking a little bit, and I was like, what is happening right now? And I turned around, and everything's kind of hazy, and I see my buddy standing there, and he's wearing his gas mask, and he's just standing there like this. And the symbol for gas is like this. You go, gas. And he's standing like this, and he goes, like, what are you doing? And I remember looking at him like, ah! and they were gassing us with pepper spray gas. And, I was, and I'm choking, and I can't figure out. My eyes are watering. Nothing is, I can't get anything to work. And suddenly, it like, I was like in a dream and woke up. Ah! Gas! And he's like, what are you doing? You know? So I put my gas mask on, and it took me 30 seconds or so until I'm actually breathing again and uh, not passing out. And so I'm standing there looking at him, and he's like, gas mask, dude. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, OK. And so now we're in this thing, and we're just being gassed. And so here's the story. Later on, one of our instructors got with us. This is all training again. And this is what he said. He said, if nobody can get into you, it's impossible for you to get out. Nobody can get in in terms of the building is barricaded. It's impossible for you to get out. Which, and then he went on to say, what if it wasn't gas? What if we just lit it on fire? What do you do now? This was training, right? Here's my question for you as doers of the word. If nobody can get in to your life, to your heart, if you have no friends, if you don't disclose to anybody anything, if you don't have any accountability, if you're not actually honest with anybody, if nobody can get in, it's impossible for you to get out. And you're supposed to be an imitator of God and demonstrate what God's love is like. And that's what Paul tells us, to love one another and to show self-sacrificially what that love looks like. But I'll tell you, I have found more times than not that vulnerability in our culture has become a commodity. That to be vulnerable with somebody is actually an angle that people use because they're making friends in order to network and not really to go anywhere together. So I'll let you in this much, but only this much so you think, you think we're really good buddies because I want you to be my client or I want to be your client or whatever. People use vulnerability, they use relationship as a means to get something as a commodity instead of actually connecting with one another. If it's impossible, if, it's, if nobody can get in, it's impossible for you to get out. And if we look at relationships this way and use our friendships as commodities, as things we exploit, how can we ever in love be imitators of God who when we had nothing to offer him, we were his enemies dead in our trespasses. 
he saved us. How different is that? You know, I was driving, I was supposed to meet Michael Barron uh, a couple of months ago. I don't know, no concept of time. A year ago? I don't even know. <laughs> supposed to meet Michael Barron at some point in the past. And uh, I was driving to see him, and we were going to meet at a bread company to have a cup of coffee. And I'm driving down the road, and I was on 141 over here, going toward Olive Road to go meet him. And I heard a big pop, and my serpentine belt, my main belt and my engine exploded and fell off. And I saw this snake-looking thing go flying out from behind the car. And suddenly I had no power and nothing's working. And I'm kind of just cruising to a halt. So thankfully, I was able, able to pull off the road in a place where I wasn't in traffic. And I'm on the side of the road. And there was a big embankment there. And so I'm standing on the embankment because I don't want, you know, sometimes you don't want to stay in the car in case somebody hits it or whatever, even though it's off the road. And I call the tow truck because it's for sure I can't get it anywhere. And I got the tow truck coming. And I called Michael. I said, Michael, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to reschedule our time. I, I was really looking forward to seeing you. I'm broken down. I, I'm sorry. He was like, oh, man, what happened? So I told him the story. He's like, oh, that's no problem. We'll just meet another time. I said, thanks for being gracious. Let's try for, you know, next couple of days. We'll, we'll figure it out. So I went and sat on the hill, and I'm waiting for the tow truck, and about 10 minutes passes, and here comes Michael Barron. <laughs> now, it's one way. So he had to go down a hole all the way down to the other way and come up, and he parks behind me, and he gets out, and he sits down on the hill. On the hill. I said, hi, Michael. He said, hey, I, was, I thought I'd just wait for you with the tow truck. And I was like, wow, thank you for doing that. Because, let's be honest, if you go to a business meeting and you're in trouble, is that other person going to be like, oh, great, free hour, and just go, to, go do whatever they need to do? Or are they going to come sit with you when you can't offer them anything? And Michael taught me a lesson that day. And the lesson was, you don't exploit relationships. You come together and you rest, even in the bad, or you rejoice in the good. That's what the New Testament tells us. We rejoice with people when they rejoice. We grieve when they grieve. We stand together as a community. But we don't just exploit those relationships. We sit in them together with us. And I'm going to be honest with you, three months after the big thing happens and you've had the funeral, the cards stop for everybody. And it's hard to walk that through. And sometimes we really feel alone. And sometimes our relationships are not as good as we hope they're going to be. And sometimes the pastor's going to let you down, a lot of times. But our hope's in Jesus. We know him and his commandments. We know what he's called us to. And now we're doing it together to stand together to demonstrate his love, even in something simple, like just coming to sit on a hill. And that's good. That's good because the grand thing here, the grand takeaway is not you have to do everything perfectly. The grand takeaway is he, Christ, has obeyed perfectly. He's put his perfect righteousness and obedience onto you. And now as those disciples who imitate God, who know him, who are his, be and know and do what he's called us to, it's not always in the grandiose things. You don't have to go to New Zealand and try to be some kind of missionary, unless God calls you to that. If he calls you, obey. But you don't have to go do these crazy things. You just need to be faithful in what he does give you. And even in friendships and relationships, we can demonstrate his love and his care and his grace. How do we do that in our families? If it's impossible for anybody to come in, it's impossible for you to get out. Sometimes with our own children, we try to be so stoic like we don't have emotions, like we're 
apart from things. We don't ever want to be wrong because we don't want them to see us in weakness. Do we ask our kids for forgiveness sometimes? Should we tell them about how the gospel has affected our lives? What if we hurt a, a friend or a coworker or a disciple? Do we show what forgiveness and relationship looks like? Or do we just sort of carry on? Now, I'm not saying I do that perfectly. I'm not saying we do that perfectly. But I'm saying in Christ and knowing him, what does it look like to not have such an impenetrable wall that nobody can get in and it's impossible for you to get out? We want to be, know, and do all the things that God has called us to do. The Lord has called us to be imitators of God. As beloved children, to walk in love as Christ offered as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. At the end of the day, that's what we are, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The Bible tells us to put our lives before him at his altar and say, Lord, this is my spiritual act of worship. I am yours. To be, know, and do in God's world means that as imitators of God, we start by being his, by setting ourselves before him, by knowing his word and commandments, and then doing what he's called us to do. Amen? Let's all stand together. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your grace and your peace in your life. Lord, we want to be your imitators. And so I confess that I'm imperfect. Lord, I confess that in my own failures, Lord, I need you. Lord, to demonstrate your love in ways that I can't. Lord, I confess to you that we are imperfect. But Lord, we want to be your imitators. We want to stand on your word. We want to know you in everything we do. Lord, thank you that you have called us to be your sons and daughters. Lord, not because of our merit, but because of your grace. And Lord, out of that grace, help us, Lord, to know your calling and that we can walk with you, to do well, to imitate you. Lord, not because we can earn more love from you, but because we love you, and we want to bless you. Lord, help us to do all that you've called us to do by the power of your spirit. Father, bind us together in love Lord, that we can share with one another and have real true friendships. Lord, help us not to fall to the advertising schemes of the day that need 11 touches. But instead, Lord, we look to you that every moment of our day we pray without ceasing. That every moment of our day we come to you, Jesus. And help us, Lord, as we are imitators of you, that we make good disciples who also imitate you. Lord, that they would know you and serve you and walk with you all their days. Lord, we pray for our families and our children. Lord, that our children would walk in your grace. That they would know you. That they would know your call. That they would know your anointing. Lord, use them for your glory, we pray. And Father, we pray for our church, Lord, that we would be a church where people know that you have come from the Father because of our love for one another. And Lord, we pray for our city. Lord, use us, God. Use us here. Lord, we care about the whole world, but here where you've put us. Help us, Lord, to make disciples that we would imitate you and that it would change and redeem all the things around us. Lord, we ask you for restoration. Lord, downtown, in the suburbs, everywhere, in East St. Louis, in North St. Louis and South St. Louis, Lord, in the West here, Lord, to Wentzville and beyond, Father, we ask you in Jesus' name, Lord, that your kingdom would reign because you are on the throne. We trust you, we love you, and we look to you. Know the greatness of the Father who's called you. Know the love of the Son 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross for you. And know the power of the Holy Spirit who applies salvation to us and who leads us every day, who makes us imitators of God. You are dismissed. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you, everybody. You too, Ms. Suzanne, but you guys have a difficult problem.